open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have an excellent interview today with Wayne Vaughn. He's the CEO of Tyrion. Welcome to the podcast, Wayne. Thanks for having me, Trace. Yeah, so how did you get started in this whole Bitcoin space? You know, what what kind of interested you in it? Well, I learned about Bitcoin pretty early, probably back in about 2011. And uh, I didn't really pay that much attention to it. I remember I went to Mt. Gox's website right around the time where Bitcoin was a dollar. And I was like, oh, man, I got to send money like through a wire or something to some crazy, you know, overseas company. I'm not going to buy any of this Bitcoin. And that was a big mistake. But around 2013 or 2012, I started getting more into Bitcoin and actually started trading. I got involved with a trading community. Some of your listeners might know about the uh, infamous Mt. Gox bot called Willie. And I knew the guy who discovered Willie, and I actually named Willie Willie. I gave him his name. So in 2013, I built a small company called Cointera. Coindera, not Cointera, the mining company. Yeah, not the mining company. Uh, It was a Bitcoin alerts company. Uh, You could get Bitcoin alerts on your phone, SMS messages. For For trading? Yeah, and and 240 other cryptocurrency pairs. So it was pretty cool. We were doing things like not just price alerts, but EMA, MA crossover, percentage move within a particular time period. And I did that with Adam Evers, uh, who is an employee of Sprinkler now. And uh, I also, in early 2014, got involved with Factum and Storage and helping them with some of their, their, uh, mostly with Factum, helping them with the launch of their website and designed the uh, Factum Explorer. And uh, I was also working on another project simultaneously called uh, Tyrion. So that kind of brings me to what we're doing today. What you're doing now. Yeah, Yeah, because, you know, I actually interviewed Peter Kirby, the president of Factum. We, we had a great interview talking about some of these things. So what, what exactly are you doing with Tyrion? Okay, so it's kind of hard to talk about this without showing your listeners something, but Tyrion, you can think of it as a cloud database that notarizes every record in the Bitcoin blockchain. And we can do this at scale for millions of records. So there's a website called Proof of Existence, Manuel Arreos, I believe is how you pronounce it. Yeah, Man- Manuel Arreos. Uh, oh, he, yeah, yeah. He's, he's one of my favorites, actually. I met him down at the uh, LA, the Latin American Bitcoin Conference uh, in Buenos Aires. And mm-hmm. I actually wanted to hire him. <laughs> and we, we had like interviewed all types of people and wanted to hire him along with a couple other people. And then they got snapped up by BitPay and mm-hmm. did excellent work on the Copay wallet, by the way. Like, I'm very impressed with the Copay wallet. So, okay, a little bit of a tangent, but back yeah. to Manuel. His his latest project um, is Streamium, which is the streaming project. But one of the things that he did was he pioneered the idea of proof of existence, which meant that if you took some data and you created a digital fingerprint for that data called a hash and store that digital fingerprint in a Bitcoin transaction, you would be able to prove that that information existed at a particular point in time in a specific format. And 
So there are websites out there where you can notarize things in the blockchain. There's companies like Stampery and Ascribe is doing digital notarization with uh, artwork. But one of the limitations for doing notarization of data is the actual speed and cost of operating, uh, of conducting Bitcoin transactions. Bitcoin network can only handle about seven transactions per second. And every single one of those transactions costs three cents. And so if you want to record a million transactions in the Bitcoin blockchain, it's going to take a really long time and it's going to cost you $30,000. That's not a very good proposition for, for most people. Yeah. Cause I mean, and, and actually, you know, let's give a use case of this proof of existence before we kind of move further in. I actually used it where I purchased something. Uh, and I was purchasing something where I ne- I needed to get possession of it before we released the funds. So we actually created a, a contract and then we had an order of operations in the contract and we created a multi-sig account. And then, you know, we had the buyer, the seller, and then the uh, third party uh, escrow uh, person, you know, with the third key. It was a two or three multi-sig. And then uh, we signed the contract with the a message saying that we agreed to the hash of the contract, the PDF. That's how we executed it. And then after we we executed the contract, then Bitcoins got sent into the multi-sig account. And then after all the assets were transferred, then, you know, we signed and, and released the Bitcoins out of the out of the escrow account. And so it was really kind of cool to see how we could establish trust or at least minimize the risk when we were engaging in this, you know, actually a pretty large size transaction. I mean, it, it was a significant transaction and used proof of existence for all of that. And so I was, I was really kind of impressed to see like that we had this tool where we could execute contracts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and this would be a legally binding contract that we executed. And, and yet we had all the facts that an arbitrator would need and, and be able to easily determine like who, breached if there was a breach mm-hmm. and since we had all of that of course the the transaction went through in uh, from the time that we negotiated and agreed on a sale price we had the contracts uh, executed and everything transferred and the bitcoins released out of escrow within 36 hours yeah. which is faster than we could have done a bank wire transfer and it didn't cost anything to use the bitcoin network yeah. to do it so imagine extending that proof of existence capability that you're doing with documents to a database, a cloud database, where you're doing proof of existence for every record, millions of records that are coming in. So that's what Tyrion does. And uh, along with Tyrion, we've developed a protocol, an open protocol called Chainpoint, which is a scalable protocol for notarizing large sets of data into the blockchain and generating what we call a blockchain receipt. A blockchain receipt contains all of the information needed to prove that some information was recorded in the blockchain at a particular point in time without relying on any trusted third party. And so the Chainpoint protocol was uh, developed in combination of work that we did and work of Sean Wilkinson, who is the lead developer of storage and a, a good friend. And there is a white paper that's available at uh, Tyrion.com slash Chainpoint. That's T-I-E-R ion.com slash chainpoint. And you can also look at github.com slash chainpoint where there is a, a Python open source implementation of, of this core engine. But the bottom line is that what we're doing with Tyrion is we have a cloud database with uh, a REST API and a web forms endpoint, which allows you to get data into our system. Every record in Tyrion 
gets a blockchain receipt, which is proof that that information was recorded in the Bitcoin blockchain. And then we can take that information along with that blockchain receipt and pass it downstream to other systems. Those other systems don't have to know anything about Bitcoin or anything else. Somebody can also can take a look at that information, those records, and the blockchain receipt for each record. And all they have to do is look up a certain number in a Bitcoin transaction and then just use math to prove that the information that was notarized in the blockchain was part of the set of information who we were notarizing at that particular point in time. Yeah, because and we at Kraken, uh, when we did the audit proving uh, customer balances, people were able to prove that their particular Bitcoin balance was included in the total amount of Bitcoins under Kraken's control at the time. Can you explain a little bit how this actually works with like the Merkle root and the Merkle tree sure, and the Merkle kind of, leaves and like all this stuff? I was trying to avoid getting into that, but you know, I'll, I'll well, do we, my we, best. We to, got smart listeners on my podcast. I, I'll, do, <laughs> I'll do my best to represent this in a non-visual manner. Okay. So imagine that you've got, imagine that Tyrion is a gigantic spreadsheet and every new record is a new row in that spreadsheet. So every 10 minutes, we take all of the row, as I'm sorry, as every record comes in, we generate a unique digital signature, a, a, a hash of each individual row. Right. And, and, and this is this is using best practices. Like we had Michael Perklin from C4 that I interviewed, and he was a digital forensic investigator. And so, you know, using either an MD5 hash or a SHA, a SHA hash are the best practices mm-hmm. for, you know, hashing different files that are on computer systems. In fact, when I was attending the Albrecht trial, they would put up some of these hashes and be like, oh, this was on the on the disk when we imaged it. It's interesting because that hashing actually has some sort of precedent in uh, a legal situation. I don't want to get too far off what we're going uh, talking about, but essentially, but, but I mean, this is critical, like you know, because we're talking about creating a, an auditable record mm-hmm. that's then provable and put into this immutably persistent blockchain. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of your value proposition, right? Yeah. So what we do is just to kind of come back again. We take every new row and every new record that's added to our database, and every and we hash each record. Every ten minutes, we take all of those hashes, whether it's two hashes or a million hashes, and we construct what's called a Merkle tree. And think of it like a family tree where uh, at the at the top, you've got all of the leaves, all of the individual hashes. And at the bottom, there's something called the Merkle root, which is a cryptographic summary of all of the information in this tree. That Merkle root gets published in op return in a Bitcoin transaction. And what we do is we extract a Merkle proof. We think of it as drawing a path from that Merkle root all the way up the Merkle tree through the nodes to the leaf at the top that you're trying to prove. And we take that and we use that information along with a few other pieces of data to construct what we call a blockchain receipt. And that blockchain receipt contains all of the information to prove that your data, the hash of your data, was part of that Merkle tree whose root was inserted in the Bitcoin transaction. And for somebody down, somebody to verify that later on, all they have to do is they go to that Bitcoin transaction, they look up that Merkle root, and they see that the numbers match, and then they can use mathematics to prove that the Merkle proof, which is part of this blockchain receipt, that Merkle proof that 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 um, Merkle root that went to the Bitcoin 
is is you can use math to prove without getting into too much detail. But I mean, do you have an explorer on your site that makes it very easy for people to authenticate or to to do this proof? So you can use hashing. You can use a standard hashing calculator, which there's tons of them around the internet. Our lead developer, Jason Bukowski, just yesterday he built something called Checkpoint. It's kind of a play on Chainpoint, which is the name of the protocol, which will automatically check this. So people could develop their own utilities. But hashing is something that is is just a fundamental part of computer science, and right. anybody who is a even an entry level software developer would be able to look at this or write a tool that would automatically be able to verify these blockchain receipts. And that's because the, these receipts actually come out in JSON. Yep. Right. Well, it could yeah. be you could you could make an well, XML yeah. version, but our standard, the Chainpoint standard, the first version uses SHA-256 for hashing. It doesn't have to. It could use MD5 or something else. We notarize everything to the Bitcoin blockchain, and we tend to represent these uh, receipts as a JSON object. But, I mean, you could stick it in other blockchains too, right? You could. You could. You could publish things to a factum chain. You could You could do something into, you could use Chainpoint to notarize data into Litecoin. You could do it into, uh, one of the things I was just talking with a gentleman from Deutsche Bank about was, the difference between notarizing something into the Bitcoin blockchain and into a, a private. private ledger. And the thing about the Bitcoin blockchain is you can't turn Bitcoin off easily. You can't edit transactions. You can't undo something. You can't censor anything. The reason that banks want permission ledgers or shared ledgers is that they want to be able to shut it off. They want to edit something. Once you start to, once the immutability goes away, the function of a notary is gone. And so, so we could notarize into any blockchain, but it makes sense really at this point in time to only notarize things into the Bitcoin blockchain because it's the most secure uh, blockchain that's out there. Well, and and they could they could still have the record in their own private blockchain, but also in the immutably persistent Bitcoin blockchain, and then then we would know that their private blockchain is in order, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the nice thing about generating a blockchain receipt and the concept of a blockchain receipt is it's portable. One of the common uses for uh, Tyrion uh, would be to take in information to generate that blockchain receipt and then to push that record along with the blockchain receipt down to other systems. It could be a centralized database. It could be a decentralized uh, and, system. And you have a lot of this already automated into your system. Oh, yeah. Right? That, that, so can, can you give an example of a few? I mean, Google Docs. Sure, sure. So we uh, integrate with a tool called Zapier, which for your users is kind of like if this, then that for business applications. It allows us to integrate with 400 business apps. So just the other day, we were playing around with creating blockchain receipts for every email that was sent or received from a Gmail account. Oh, wouldn't that be great for uh, Senator Clinton? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and everybody else, no matter what your p- political persuasion is, I think that's something we can all we can all agree on. The IRS. <laughs> yeah, uh, we can Zapier. We can through Zapier. We can make it so that if you are adding a rose to a Google spreadsheet uh, every five minutes or so, uh, Zapier will pick up that information, send it over to our our system. If you have a contact form on a website, it could even be something sophisticated like a mortgage application or uh, a claims processing form for an insurance company. All that information that's collected will go into Tyrion, get a blockchain receipt, and then can be pushed over to a bank's system for processing mortgage applications. Or more likely, they would use our REST API to come back and request the records after a period of, uh, of time. And... 
that way the bank will know that the information that was collected with that mortgage application existed in this format at a specific point in time. And so many of the problems with things like you know mortgage fraud and robo-signing and things like that might be lessened, maybe not quite solved, but lessened by the well, types of technology. That well, I mean, because that's because a lot of, a lot of the times it's the fraud happens like after the fact, you know, you, the, the, the fraudster wants to go and cover up what they did. Or it could just be an error. Or, or it could be an error. But, you know, in cases of fraud, you know, it's, it's cooking the books after the fact. Exactly. And so if you've got these these blockchain receipts that are happening on a regular basis and it's integrated with the accounting software and that's also uh, interacting with different transactions that are happening throughout the supply chain, then now it becomes very, very difficult to engage in any type of fraudulent behavior and not be quickly discovered. Yeah, so exactly. So if you are an auditor and you are requesting information from somebody and that information you have a blockchain receipt for that information. For all those documents or for all of those records, all the auditor has to do is to hash the record, get that digital fingerprint, and uh, compare it to what's generated by the blockchain receipt. And they'll be able to verify that, okay, this record is good, or this record is bad. If the record is bad, I can't tell them why it's bad. I can't give them any other information other than there is a problem here. And there's all sorts of applications for that. Like if you have an inventory management system, like I have a, uh, a relative in my family who does compliance work for Remington, the gun manufacturer, and uh, he was hired to help them better track their inventory management practices so that because they get regular audits and they have to know where the gun parts are and everything gets a serial number and everything else. And they have some older systems that they're looking at retooling and found the conversations that I had with them pretty fascinating about being able to use this new paradigm of being able to issue a blockchain receipt for inventory orders that are meant that are going through the supply chain in his business. And if you're like right now, we're in an environment where uh, coin setter, uh, Bitcoin exchange. Yeah, they're, they're gracious enough to uh, let us use one of the rooms at their headquarters for this interview. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Jaron, who, who we've interviewed before. <laughs> yes, appreciate that. Um, so coin setter could use uh, Tyrion. Or, or the Chainpoint protocol if they wanted to build it out themselves to notarize every single trade that goes through their system. So that way their auditors would be able to actually use the Bitcoin blockchain to be able to verify that Bitcoin trades actually had, had taken place. And it's a little meta, but it's pretty cool. What are some other applications? We've talked about auditing. We've talked about inventory control. We've talked about... Uh, like all these off-chain transactions happening with Bitcoin exchanges, and by extension, that would automatically apply to like NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange and all types of things like that. But I mean, what else? What what other kind of uses do we have? Do we? Uh, we we've talked about legal implications, mm-hmm. like rules of evidence, medical records, uh, affiliate payments when we're dealing with like Amazon and somebody selling their digital product on Amazon, their ebook, or selling music through uh, iTunes. I mean, are, are all of these potentially like use cases for uh, this, this Tyrion technology? Yeah, it's, it's really broad. If you think about what you can use a blockchain for generally, and when I say blockchain, I'm, I'm really only referring to the Bitcoin blockchain, but, but you can use it for currency. You can issue digital assets. You can use it for identity which is kind of a digital asset of sorts, but it's different enough where I think it deserves its own category. And you can use it for verifying data. 
for timestamping and verifying data, which up until this point, you haven't really, really been able to do at scale. So with Tyrion and with the Chainpoint protocol, we can now do it at scale. And that opens up a lot of new possibilities. I mean, you could even think of content management system being able to notarize everything that is published so that if somebody cites an article, you actually have proof that an article was what was originally written and originally published and not some edited version down the road. I have a a friend who runs an e-commerce company and he has an interest in creating a blockchain receipt for every transaction that goes through his system. And when, when I say that, I don't mean every financial transaction. I mean the information about the entire bill of goods, the, the item description or the service, the, the condition. Price, the IP address that ordered it, all uh, the, the rep- shipping address, the, all the represent- phone numbers, yeah. all the representations, the method of payment. Exactly. Exactly. So that if there is a dispute at some point in the future that he can say, hey, look, you know, I, I, I don't have to be in the middle of this. This is you know, a notarized record of this transaction that went through, and other people can have confidence of that. The applications are very, very broad. And one of the things that we've done with Tyrion is our business model is software as a service. You don't have to buy any Bitcoin. You have to know anything. We're just like another cloud database that somebody would use and pay a monthly subscription price based on the volume of usage. And when we launch on August 13th, there's going to be an entry-level plan that's available for free so that developers can can test and uh, experiment. And I'm really excited to see people build things that I haven't yet thought of. And we're, we're just really looking forward to what people can create. And we've, we've designed something that I think is a really beautiful product, great user documentation, great way for developers to interface with our product, and we, we hope that people love it. Yeah, so where can uh, where can people find your your uh, website again? Sure, it's Tyrion.com. That's T-I-E-R-I-O-N.com. Uh, you can download the Chainpoint white paper right from our homepage. And uh, if your listeners want to check out the GitHub repository for the Chainpoint protocol, it's at github.com slash Chainpoint. Perfect. Well, it's been a wonderful interview. I know it's uh, getting kind of late. <laughs> Coinsetter wants us out of their headquarters. Thanks so much for taking the time to uh, do this interview with us. Oh, thanks so much for giving the opportunity. Appreciate it. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. 